Good morning. Um, if you can't see the screen, you might want to move to where you can because most of this is just going to be speaking from the slides that come up. Um, it's been been another great experience and uh, time of fellowship so far, and I, I trust that we'll continue to be blessed by the Lord in that way. Um, when Brother Randall called and, and asked me to do one of the one of the sessions, um, we we discussed a little bit about about a subject matter, and then I called him back and told him that I thought that what I would like to um, what I would like to do um, was to speak from a passage that's found in the, in the 11th chapter of Matthew's Gospel and also in, in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be getting to that in a few minutes. Uh, but first, just a few, few words of introduction. You can always see, already see the title of this presentation. Um, and by way of introduction... Um, Back in 2005, I believe it was, uh, one of the preachers' meetings in Cincinnati, uh, there was an elder who came there. Um, by the name of James Compton. Some of you might have known him. Yes. Um, at that time, while well, he was driven by, Elder Stephen Bloyd drove him over there. And at that time, he was 100 years old and preached one of the night services during that meeting. And needless to say, I had never met him before, but needless to say I was impressed because for 40 minutes or so, he was right on track, enthusiastic, had the congregation, you know, uh, lifted up. Yeah. And after that, I decided that that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> uh, not, only, not only was he preaching at 100 years old, but that car that he had been driven over there in from Maryland, uh, in the trunk of it there was a box of songbooks and a stack of folding chairs. Because Elder Compton, even at 100 years old, was ready to have a worship service anywhere there was the opportunity. <laughs> That's, that's what I want to be in however many years it is till I grow up. But that man was kind of an extreme example of something that I, I, I mean, I've grown up, you know, pretty much in the Primitive Baptist Church. And I've known a lot of old elders, elder elders. Yes. And they may have reached... They may have reached the age where they no longer pastor a church. That's understandable. But they never reach the point where they don't want to preach. And if you've got one of those elder elders in your church, you might want to give them opportunity from time to time to exercise what they love to do more than anything else. The reason that these thoughts came to my mind is because I, I got kind of into the idea of burnout. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't know, I don't know every preacher among our people, uh, never have, but I don't know of any cases personally of preacher burnout, of someone just 
getting to the point where like a light bulb that's burned out that they're just they're done they're toast Mm -hmm. the reason this came to mind is because I looked up some statistics uh, on this subject and there's an organization out there called the Barna organization and they do surveys you know among the big churches and all this kind of thing but the thing was interesting was that they had done a survey among Protestant preachers. And in, I believe it was uh, 19, or 2021, the surveys that they got back indicated that 29% of the preachers that responded had, had problems with burnout. That was in 2021. A year later in 2022, the number was up to 42%. Mm-hmm. So that sounded pretty significant. Yeah. What's the difference? You know, if we conducted a survey here today, how many, how many preachers, you know, would say, yeah, I've had real problems, you know, with burnout. I've just, I've just gotten to the point where I can't go on. I don't, I don't know that it would be many. I don't know of any cases of, you know, full-blown burnout. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but believe that we have the same symptoms from time to time. And if you will, Brother Marty, the next. Again, I did a little research. I hope you can read that. Um, But basically, what it is that, as you would suspect, there are both you know, mental and spiritual symptoms as well as physical symptoms. You can't disconnect one from the other. Sense of failure and self-doubt. I have that every week when I stand up before. But it doesn't debilitate. Okay? Feeling helpless, trapped, defeated. Feeling detached, lonely. Loss of motivation, increasing cynicism and negativity. You ever met a preacher that wasn't a little cynical about things from time to time? No. Decreased satisfaction and sense of accomplishment. Uh, or even physical. Excess of stress, fatigue, insomnia, sadness, anger, irritability, uh, maybe even alcohol and drug abuse, physical illnesses heart disease, high blood pressure, intestinal disorders, loss of immunity. These, these are all symptoms. If you'll do the next. The thing that uh, we have to ask though is not so much what, what we see in the way of statistics because they are always telling us one kind of story or another, but are there any biblical examples we can find of, of what we would call burnout? And one that just comes to mind, I'm sorry for the small print there, but one that comes to mind is Elijah. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to this list of symptoms, it kind of looks like, you know, he's, he's suffering something. Uh, failure, fear, helplessness, defeated, lonely, no motivation to continue on. Uh, negative don't know what the physical symptoms might have been but he sure does seem to exhibit that sign of burnout 
How about Peter? Yeah, yeah. Peter, of course, denied Christ. And then what happened? You know, he was in the tank. You know, the others abandoned Jesus. But Peter is the one who suffered the spiritual, the, the mental anguish of having so boldly boasted that he would he would keep bad things from happening to Jesus. I mean that's that's he was going to be Jesus's protector. And then he swore Kirsten swore that he never knew him. Wept bitterly, went out and wept bitterly. Didn't believe, you know when the reports came back that the tomb was empty, didn't believe it till he went and saw it for himself. And then in the last chapter of John's gospel course we find him making that famous statement I go fishing you know for him to to read that you can read behind the lines or between the lines or whatever and you can see he's done he has decided that I'm going back I'm going back to where I was Uh, I call that burnout and if it hadn't been for the Lord staging an intervention (laughs) <laughs> Peter never would have been able to finish his course Amen Now I got I can hardly even read it I'm sorry for that Paul, but Paul yeah that guy Paul <laughs> and The amazing thing about Paul is that we we read about him we read the epistles we read the Acts of the Apostles Seems like he's just, you know, a little steam engine that just keeps on going. Never seems to falter, never seems to have any ups and downs. I mean, you know, of that nature of, of burnout. But I want you to consider some scriptures that, uh, that are his words about his own, his own uh, experiences. Next slide, please. First one is first, or Second Corinthians Chapter 1, 8 through 10. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. Does that sound like there's some stress there? Above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, raiseth the dead who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. I looked the word up to uh, uh, the word despair in there. We despaired even of life. Not eternal life, but of course the life of his body. It means to be utterly destitute of measures and all resources to renounce all hope. This is the Apostle Paul. Reached a point where he despaired even of life because of the troubles, which he doesn't define them too much, but the troubles that came to him in Asia. If we go on, next slide please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, later on, we're familiar with this one where he described the, the ongoing, the relentless pressures of his ministry. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, 
In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. But the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. We only know about one. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside these things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Is that a man under pressure? Yeah. Yes. Man experiencing stress? Yes. <laughs> and yet he doesn't, he bends, but he doesn't break. Yeah. Right. Why? How is it that others do and he didn't? Next slide, please. Lord was helping him. Mm-hmm. Remember he said we have the sentence of death in ourselves so that we don't trust ourselves, but we trust in God that raiseth the dead. Mm-hmm. If we run out of life, guess what? God's got an endless store of it. If we run out of the will and the energy, guess what? The Holy Spirit's got an endless supply of it. Absolutely. And we'll get more to this uh, solution, this help that we have. But one thing is that the Lord never overtaxed Paul. Now, we just read what he says about all the perils and everything else. And we thought, how can any man endure all of that for years and just keep on going? And when I say that the Lord never overtaxed him, you probably think that... um, you know, out to lunch or whatever. But here's the thing. Paul wrote about it. He wrote it to others, but I I rather have the experience he wasn't writing epistles to people about things he himself had not experienced. He was the pattern. They were to follow him. Follow him as he followed Jesus. So he's able to say, Wherefore let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. I don't think those are just words. I think that's what Paul had come to that stabilized his life. He didn't think that he was standing in his own energy because the danger was, as he knew, he would fall. He needed Jesus all the time. There had no temptation taking you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that she may be able to bear it. Trust me, those lashes he felt on his back were real lashes, and he felt the pain of them every time. 39 times, or 39 stripes, five times, right? Right. Whatever the math is on that. Thank you. But that, Paul's not, Paul was not suffered to be tempted above what he was able. This guy is strong, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Or is it his strength or his being enabled by a greater one? Yes, yes. The Lord comforted him so that he could perform his ministry. 
He tells us how. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I suspect we've all preached on that. We've all taken hope in that. But the reality is that God comforts us so we can comfort others with the same comfort with which He has comforted us. That word comfort is referring to being refreshed. The Lord was refreshing Paul. He never ran out of his own energy because he was getting his energy from somewhere else. Third thing is the Lord stood by him. He had the felt presence of, of the Lord. Through the Holy Spirit. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood by me, stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's speaking out of experience. This is, this is what kept him going. Uh, next slide, please. I would, I would say that Paul had a balance. There was a balance in his ministering. He wasn't depending on himself or his own strength. He's depending on the one who was able to raise the dead. Because Paul already knew he was basically a dead man walking. And the only thing that kept him going was the life-giving power of God's Spirit. But in this this verse, uh, which we don't find, we're going to get to that, we're going to get to the verse there in Matthew chapter 11. But this is part of the companion passage in, in, in Luke's gospel and this we're not told this in the other one at any rate we're told that the 70 returned again with joy saying Lord the devils even the devils are subject unto us through thy name and he said unto them I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven behold I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. As we get into the further parts of this, I hope we can see that our balance in our ministering and our serving is a focus on not our success, but on Jesus' success. Amen. It is a very uplifting thing to have the experience of great success. Mm-hmm. The 70 came back rejoicing in their success. They recognized the success was in the name of Jesus. But they had done that. And Jesus said, yes, it's a great thing. You know, I, you know in this I behold the, the final defeat of Satan... And you have all this power over that. But let's stay balanced. Yeah. Your strength is not in your success. 
Your strength is in my success. And that's, that's what leads us into this passage. If you will, next slide, please. It's found in Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. I know we've all preached it before. Um, but I should not have said the key to avoiding burnout because you can probably find other passages that do this equally well. This is, regardless of where you go, the same, same elements you're going to find as being what the Lord gives us to avoid burnout. And there are four of them. Um, I won't take the time to read that. We'll be going through it piece by piece. But next slide, please. There's four things in this passage. There's a given revelation. There's a given rest. There's a taken yoke. And there's a found rest. We may have preached this in kind of an evangelical sort of thing, you know, that uh, we're quoting the words to others about, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. But I believe that these, these things are essential it's a, there's there's the need in our in our life in our spirit in our soul for these things to be refreshed mm-hmm. day by day. Oh yes. The first one is a given revelation. Next slide, please. Let's notice how it is that the Lord gives this revelation. And we know it's the revelation of Himself. But if we don't have this revelation, mm-hmm. we will be like the 70 whose strength was in their own success. This is not a one-time thing, by the way. This is a given revelation. You can't buy it. You can't find it. You can't read it in a book. Because this, this, is what, this is what brings us into fellowship with that God who raises the dead. Jesus spoke these words not just in the presence of His disciples, the apostles. He spoke it to them. I believe that. And there may be, may be many applications. But the first thing Jesus teaches them and us that all things are delivered unto me of my Father. What we are doing today, what we do on the days when we minister the gospel to God's people, it began with the Father. And it begins with the Father. Because everything comes from Him. If we don't have that revelation, you know, everything else falls apart. All things, even Jesus confessed that all things are delivered unto me of my Father. And that word delivered means to give over into the care of and use by another. He was given all power, all authority, all wisdom, all knowledge. It came off from Father. And then notice this. He says, No man knoweth the Son, but the Father. We're still in the picture here. We're still, we're not even in the picture. It's just the Father and the Son. Now, I know the Holy Spirit is in there too. But it's the Father who knows the Son. No man knoweth the Son save the Father. 
Let me, let me just put another word in there. I don't think it changes the thought. But no man can know the Son save the Father. You don't have the ability. We don't. Naturally speaking, we don't have the ability to know the Son. Only the Father knows. That intimate knowledge, only the Father knows. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Still not in the picture, us. Still not in the picture. No man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Sounds like, sounds like the, you know, the tranquility and the peace and the intense joy that we view heaven as being. In the presence of God the Father and the Son, they are one, they are, you know, one. The Father's in the Son, the Son's with the Father, and and it could go on for eternity, which of course it is, but it could go on for eternity without us ever being in the picture. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. But then there's this fourth part here, which is, to me, I mean, it's just great. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the soul, so that we can declare that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. As Jesus said to Peter, he said, You know, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Doesn't that fit this? Yes. It's the same, the same teaching, if you will. If you're not blessed of the Father, you don't get or you don't have the revelation of the Son. Amen. Somebody may have taught you about Jesus. You might have gone to seminary and taken a lot of courses about it. But unless the Father reveals the Son and the Son reveals the Father, you don't have the revelation it's under consideration here. And all that comes after this is based on its beginning in the revelation that we have to have. It's a given revelation. Once you have the given revelation, you can go to the Word of God and suddenly things start to fall into place and make sense. But not till this. And you're not even in the picture really. Until that last phrase. He to whomsoever. He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. That's one of the things that the Lord has given us to avoid burnout in His service. Is to have the right revelation. Okay, next slide please. Just how great was this uh, revelation? Well, Paul put great value on that revelation of Jesus Christ and all that flowed from it. Oh, yes. Philippians 3, 10, 3, 8, 3, 8 through 10, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. How did he get the, how did he get the knowledge of Christ Jesus as Lord if it wasn't revealed to him? And I've suffered the loss of all things 
and it's no big deal. I count all those things but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of all but that which is of that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings so great was the revelation of Jesus that he had on the road to Damascus he gave it, he would give up everything in order to have a fuller Revelation onto the eventual reality of the real thing. Amen. In Ephesians, so great is his valuation of the revelation of the love of God in Christ that in chapter 3 in Ephesians, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, he's already granted it to me, but he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted, grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God." We can we can we can be appreciative, appreciative, or we can appreciate greatly the knowledge, the revelation that's been given to us, and hold it close to us. And by holding it close, we lose the power of it. it ceases to give us strength, because it's intended to be manifested, declared, published taught to others. Paul said, I'll suffer the loss of everything in order to know to know Christ better. But I want you to know what I know. That's exactly right. I want you not to know it just because I tell you. I want you to experience what I've experienced. But in order to experience what I've experienced, you're going to have to experience what I've experienced. Whoa, wait a minute. How do you know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love if you're not in the circumstances where He manifests that to you? We already know what Paul, the long catalog that he gives us of all of his troubles that he went through in Asia. He just he didn't just learn how to suffer for Christ. In all that suffering, the love of Christ was manifested more and more deeply to him. He wouldn't have known it sitting in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. The only way he knew it was in the trials and the tribulations. Next slide, please. There's a given rest here. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a given rest. There's... uh, I'm going to have to move on to get through this. Uh, 
Giving rest had been promised in the Old Testament, probably a lot of places, but uh, one that I came across, and it shall come to pass in that day that, uh, in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou hast been made to serve. The Lord promised to give and rest from sorrow and from bondage. The Pharisees, of course, as we well know, had become very good at putting yokes upon the people. Yoke of bondage. Bondage to the law. And bondage not so much to the law of Moses, but bondage to their laws and ordinances. And yet, as Luke says, in the Lord pronouncing woe upon the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, you laid men with burdens and then don't even put forth a finger to help them move. Burdens they cannot bear. There you go. Grievous to be born. Even much later, in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem to discuss the issue of the, of the Judaizers who had come into Galatia and other areas. Peter stands up and makes the pronouncement there in Acts chapter 15. Now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter had been one of those who bore the yoke of that bondage. You didn't have to be a member of the Pharisees' club, so to speak, but the whole of society was under the bondage of what they taught. It was like they were the politicians and scribes were their media. You know, they all worked together to, uh, to make this thing stay and keep the people in bondage. And along comes Jesus... And he says, if you're sensing, if you're feeling the weight and the burden of this bondage to man's law, he says, come unto me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy, and, and all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, the Lord wasn't trying to get a following together. This is this is him ministering. But it's interesting to note that word come. That's not a suggestion. It's not even an invitation. It's a command. It's in the imperative tense. Which means it's anticipated that when the word is given, that there will be a response to what has been what has been required. But to whom is the is the command come? To whom is that addressed? Only to those who are laboring and who are heavy laden. And I know this pertains to our sins and to coming, coming to Jesus Christ, finding our rest in His finished work. I know that's the case, but is there a, is there a preacher here today that doesn't long to be given rest? Well, how are you going to be given rest if you don't come to where the rest is? It's still the same thing. Paul labored under an incredible burden and weight. He labored. Come unto me, all ye, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. 
all, he said, beside all these things which are without, the care, you know, the, the, the burden that come upon me daily, the care of all the churches, how do you keep going? Well, I, I, it's my belief that he kept coming back and was given rest. It's just the return to the knowledge of where our rest is. It's in Jesus Christ. We can never forget the revelation we've been given. We must always return to the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the one who gives us rest. I mean, I enjoy being here today, this week and all that, but normally in these meetings, about, uh, about, about lunchtime or after on the second day, uh, my rear end gets a little tired. Uh, my, my feet are hurting. Uh, you know, my head is absorbed about all it can hold. You know, and so I'm, I'm getting a little weary and, and, and heavy laden myself, and I want some rest. Yeah. Keep plugging through, you know, to the end of the meeting, and, and, and it's well that we do that. There's still much to come, much good to come. But we never get. We never get far away from the Lord telling us to come. Amen. And I will give you rest. There's even a part in, in Mark chapter 6. Uh, let's see, that next slide. Uh, I'll skip that one. Yeah, Mark 6, chapter 31. This, Mark chapter 6, 30, verse 31 is one of about a half a dozen places I could find where the Lord says people come. Or those who are affiliated with Him. You know, you, you've heard come and dine. Come and see. The Samaritan woman goes back to the town. Says, come and see. Come and inherit. In Matthew, in Matthew 25, the, the king is sitting on his throne and the sheep and the goats. And he says to the sheep, come you know, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come and follow. You know, that the, the disciples call, come and follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Uh, Matthew 22, uh, one of the parables there, come to the marriage. And then Matthew, or Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, uh, which, which reads this, The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. That's after he sent them out two by two and they all came back. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For, they, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. The Lord knows we need rest. And there are times when He will come in the midst of all of our very important activities, you know, that we are all involved in, and by various messages, if you will, He'll be telling us to come apart for a while. You know, come and rest for a while. Because this rest is temporary. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The whole idea is soldiers in battle need to be given what? Rest and recovery. Just a little story. In World War II, all the fighting that was going on, uh, the army learned that 
uh, 90 days was about the, about the most that they could push units to be on the front line. After that, they were ineffective. Didn't matter about the injuries or anything else. They had to be pulled off the line and replaced with others and given rest and recovery. Jesus, from time to time, would take his disciples and say, come apart for a while and rest. Next slide. Okay, keep going. That was the one we just looked at. Third thing, there's a taking yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. There's a whole lot I can say about that, but like I say, I want to, I want to be respective of the time. Jesus didn't point to a yoke over there somewhere and tell them, y'all go over there and pick that yoke up. This, this word, take my yoke, is where somebody holds out something for the person to take. Take my, here, here's my yoke. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Good, good. Lord doesn't deliver us from being in a yoke. Right. He just changes our yoke. Yeah. Yeah. And many, many people who think, well, you know, if I'm saved in heaven, we've heard it before, you know, I can go live any way I want. I'm just, I'm just cut loose, free and fancy to live in the world here and so on and so forth. Jesus never promised that nor intended that for those to whom he gives his revelation and gives his rest it is for the purpose that they take his yoke now, do you think that the disciples were willing takers of that yoke I believe they were they, they didn't have to be forced because of the relationship they already had with Jesus. But not only that, in these last words of that, uh, you can pass on from that. In the last words of Jesus' statement there, for I am meek and lowly in heart. The Pharisees are not meek. The Pharisees are not lowly in heart. And the burden, the yoke that they have placed upon you is not easy to bear. You take my yoke because I am meek and I am lowly and I would never do anything to you that would be detrimental. Wow. You don't believe that. You're going to slip the yoke. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In fact, we have a tendency to try to slip the yoke anyway. Right? So this, this is not just a one-time thing. One and done. This is a repetitive thing. Amen. And we, we all go through these cycles. You know, what, who was it? Uh, brother, brother, uh, uh, who, had, who had the sign curve? <laughs> Shannon. Yeah, Brother Shannon. We, we all, we live on this thing. We have our cycles. And there are those times when we get get far enough out of the yoke, we need to be reminded how much we need to be in it. Because in this yoke is where we learn of Jesus. 
the, the wording there doesn't, it, it isn't saying just learn about him. A lot of ways you can learn about Jesus. But you can't be in the yoke of the Pharisees and the yoke of Jesus at the same time. Because when Jesus says, here, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he is saying, I am jealous for you as my pupil. I want to be the only teacher that you have. All these others that have come before who claim to be men of God teaching the Word of God and the truth of God and so on and so forth, he says, that's done. This is the claim of a, of a real master to whom the followers are totally devoted so that he is their only teacher. Now, we have all of us here, we have libraries of books written by other men. And there's no doubt we have learned much from their writings and their experiences. But we only have one master. We only have one capital L-O-R-D. And that is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how blessed we are that we don't have to go through and weigh each voice that we hear as to whether, well, that's going to be, he's my man. He's my man right now. You know, and two weeks later, we suddenly it comes to us where he was wrong on something, and oh, we found somebody else. Nope, Jesus. The older I get, the more, I hate to say this, the, more, the older I get, the more useless the books on the shelf are. Because I don't have the time or the energy or the mental focus to really, to really read anything other than the Bible. And that may sound like, Brother Hall, you are getting old because you're just really narrow. When I was young, I read everything I'd get my hands on. And I don't know how many boxes of books I've given away over the years because I just have to call the stuff out. And even now, there are very few books that, that I ever, having read, go back to and read again. But the Bible, it's, well, you know, I'm not boasting, it's just a discipline. I read it every year, all the way through. And then whatever other reading there is for studying and so forth. The point in all of that is simply this. Jesus gives this call to come unto Him, but in the coming... We come to these stretched out hands, if you will, where there's a yoke to take. And it's not the yoke of crushing burden. That's right. It's the yoke of eternal life. Take this yoke upon me. Upon take this yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am for I'm lowly and meek in heart. Next slide, please. Uh, next slide. Okay, the fourth thing that's in that passage is a found rest. And, of course, I uh, couldn't help but wonder as I was thinking about this, uh, what, what exactly is that talking about? Well, I've told, I've told people in church before, and of course it's purely figurative, but so if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be get you need to get ready to move. 
Because he is he's never still. Right. Hmm. You see him in the Gospels, he's always on the move. Yes. I mean, he, he may be in Capernaum for several days, but he's always, he's always out the door doing things. That's right. He's always in a boat teaching. He's always, he's always on the move. These disciples, I wouldn't say they never had a day off, but Jesus didn't have a lot of time to waste. And he didn't waste a moment of the time that he had. Amen. And they being his followers, they were always with him. They were, they were men on the move. And so, every day, they were finding new things about Jesus. Seeing new things. However long you've been in the ministry, whether it's not many years or whether it's many decades, I hope you can honestly say that you have found an awful lot along the way that has brought rest to your soul. Yes. I hope every time you open the lids of the Bible and read more Scripture, that you're finding things there that you haven't seen before. I trust that in your serving of God's people, that you will find, well, new kinds of people. Trust me, I've met some interesting people along the way. I've seen some some you know, horrifying circumstances, some terrifying things, some troubling things, some perplexing things. I've found some really, really comforting things along the way too. But they all point back to one person and one thing. And that is that whether we judge them to be good or bad, in the final analysis, the Lord suffers us to experience those things in order to increase the joy of the Lord in our life. As Nehemiah said a long time ago, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can, you can come to the conclusion that the Apostle Paul was an incredibly depressed person as he finished out his years of service to the Lord because of all the things he says that we're a trouble. It's hard not to look at his life and say, I really, I really love the Lord, but I don't want to go through all of that. <laughs> so do you think every day that the Apostle Paul opened his eyelids, put his feet on the floor and got up, that he was dreading the day that lay ahead of him? I don't think so. Because I think, just like Nehemiah said, for the Apostle Paul, the joy of the Lord was his strength. Can you imagine not only suffering for Christ, but having the felt presence of Christ with you? Of learning day by day just how much deeper the love of Christ was or, or is for you. The joy of the Lord is essential or, or we can't we burn out. It's like the oil that lubricates the machine. Without it, we burn out. Our, our ministry becomes a joyless labor. And while we may never get to the point where we just, you know, machine breaks, I can't help but believe that we experience something of these symptoms of burnout. And we will find no relief 
except in these truths that the Lord has placed in His Word. The given revelation, the given rest, the, the yoke, learning of Him, and this found rest. I want to end up this morning with just just a few few scriptures. Would next next um, slide in Philippians chapter one twenty nine thirty. Paul lets us know that this is a personal thing. It was personal for him. If we take his words to heart, it's personal for us too. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Does that, does that not sound like, take my yoke upon you and learn of me? Yeah. <clears throat> Having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Notice what he said, unto you it is given. I've already experienced it. But it's given unto you as well. It's inescapable. And in that we know, going into all of this, and I, I would caution any man who is who is believes he's been called to preach to consider the consequences, the cost. You know, study this man Paul. You'll see you may not have the you know the the level, the intensity of the suffering he went through, but you're entering into a ministry that is all about confronting and dealing with suffering and sorrow in this world. And it is given unto you not to sit in the ivory tower where you get to just learn the knowledge. It's given unto you to suffer as well. Yes. Paul also said that the comfort that Christ gives is essential to us. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all tribulation. We've already read this. But he's been comforted by the Lord so that he can comfort others with the same comfort with which he's been comforted. And it's a, just an ongoing thing. If we ever count some time of refreshing from the Lord, being comforted by Him in our affliction, whatever it may be, in a personal way, and think that that's the end of it. We failed to hear what the Lord has instructed us in His Word. I'm comforting you so that you can pay it forward. Don't think that you're the end of this. You're, the, you're not the beginning and you're not the end. You're the, you're the, you're the middle man. <laughs> and you are to comfort somebody else. Do you, do you know what that means? It means that unless I'm, unless I'm really wrong about things, we ought to all be at the point where we're searching for people to comfort. <laughs> because we have already been comforted so much by the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. There is uh, there's refreshing that comes to us in the yoke. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, of course. 
the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Isn't that interesting that a man who had so many troubles had learned that there was no sense of him wearing himself out. It's like, well, it's like Brother Dolph's presentation yesterday. The, end, the bottom line, do all that you know to do and then go to bed. <laughs> One of those symptoms of a burnout was what? Insomnia. Can you imagine what it's like to feel that the burden of other men's soul's salvation depends on you? How in the world can any man sleep if that's what he's... It is bondage. And what liberty there comes from knowing the truth of the whole matter. Amen. I believe Paul was, in the midst of all of his troubles, was able to lay down at night and go to sleep. Wake up the next day. Just like David said, I laid me down and slept, slept I laid me down and slept, and I woke up. <laughs> That's great. The mercy of God watches over us. The Apostle Paul and Silas, they're what? They're in they're in chains and bonds, they're in the Philippian prison, and at midnight, and what are they doing? Crying and moaning and nope, they're singing hymns of praise and having a having a worship service right there. Because of the joy of the Lord. You know, they counted themselves to be blessed, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer, you know, for Him. Yeah. Hmm. Paul says further on in that passage, he says, we faint not. We don't burn out. We faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inner man, the inward man, is renewed day by day for our light affliction. Yeah. That, is that... Is that tongue-in-cheek or what? <laughs> Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, at that given revelation. We keep looking at the right revelation, and he says we are renewed. Our old man perishes. Can't, you can't stop that too much. But our inner, inward man is renewed day by day. Yeah. And he says, by an exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's the eternal things that refresh us yeah. and renew us and continue to enable us to avoid burnout. Next slide, please. This is another, uh, another one of Paul's uh, uh, catalogs, if you will, of all the things that he had endured. But the point of all of this, of this, of this slide and these two passages of Scripture, is that we learn to see our weakness as the place where the Lord strengthens. Until you're willing to be weak. So I, I think... Brother Dolph yesterday as well pointed out, until somebody's willing to be transparent about their finances, there's no improvement in their problem. Until you're willing to admit, until we're willing to admit, that we are weakness itself. 
Whatever I've got that's of value, it's in an earthen vessel. It doesn't take much to destroy an earthen vessel. You can't destroy what's in it. But you can destroy this body. But consider Paul in making this statement because he's saying that because of the revelations that he had been given, you know, lest he be exalted out of measure or above measure, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. That means literally, literally, literally means to beat up. There's nobody here who wants and thinks that they could enjoy the prospect of being beaten up by a messenger of Satan. But I suspect we have all endured the repressive presence and temptation of his ministers. That if, if not overcome, will land us over in that chart of symptoms of burnout. Paul says, I prayed three times. We might think that Paul prayed once. He got an answer, a favorable answer. But he says, I prayed three times. And the Lord said, no. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> you know what that no means, though? It means he keeps getting beaten up. Yeah. Mm. So no, I'm not going to put a hedge about you. I'm going to let the messengers of Satan do their worst. But I will be your strength. Amen. You know, I don't understand that until I experience it. None of us do. Paul said, for that reason, he says, I rejoice. I rejoice in suffering. I mean, if, if modern day psychiatrist got a hold of Paul, you know, he'd never get out of therapy. Because here's a guy who, here's a guy who rejoices in suffering. You know, he, he rejoices in tribulation. How has he not been destroyed already by all of that? Because he has the right revelation. The Lord keeps giving him rest. He's in the yoke. Staying in the yoke. And all along the way, he is finding these times of rest that the Lord has already placed in that path on which he's walking. Um, when I was a younger man, I, I liked to go hiking and backpacking, and and uh, I had this wild dream at some point before life became real that I might like to hike the Appalachian Trail someday, 2,100 miles of, of nothing but rocks and hills that even if they're going down are really going up. Um, but one of the things that I did learn is if you're going to do that, you can't carry everything with you that you're going to need along the way. What you do is you send drop shipments along the way. So that after you've hiked for three or four days, your drop shipment is already there at the post office or FedEx or whatever. And you find rest. Wow. You find rest. It's already been provided. You, neither you nor I know what lies ahead. But I assure you this, that the toughest times we have, we're going to find that the Lord has dropped ship. 
rest for us. We find rest along the way. Now, next next slide. We've got to wrap this up. Uh, oh, earlier on, I should have mentioned one of the reasons that enabled one of the things that enabled Paul to to have such zeal in his service was because of the goal that he had from the very beginning. He he says it. He tells it to the Ephesian elders. He says, none of these things that I've been told about what awaits me in Jerusalem, none, none of these things move me. He says, because, bottom line, I want to finish my course with joy. I know what awaits me. I know what awaits me because I know what has attended me. But I want to finish my course with joy. question is, that was years before he finished his course. Did he finish it according to what his goal was? And he tells us that he did. You know, some of his last words, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And I I could add in there, I don't think anybody would would object to it. I have finished my course with joy. I have kept the faith. Who doesn't want to end their life like this? May not have it on your headstone, but I pray God that that be the reputation we live, leave behind. Is it like him who is the example? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith because I know what awaits me. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not even afraid of the dying of dying because I know what awaits me. And therefore I can finish my course with joy. My desire... Is you not only finish the course with joy, but that you live it with joy. And those keys that we found in Matthew chapter 11, a given revelation, a given rest, a taken yoke, and a found rest along the way are strong helps to avoiding the burnout that comes to so many men because they don't have those things. Wrong revelation... Wrong joy, collapse before the end. May the Lord pardon any ear. Bless truth our prayers. Uh, anybody?